Welcome to Property Unpacked, the podcast that unpacks the hot topics of property and explores how they affect you. Less than 100 days ago, our nation was on the edge of an economic cliff. 29 years after the recession we had to have comes the one we couldn't avoid. With the rental market struggling because of the economic impacts of COVID-19, investor demand has plummeted. The fact that the Australian economy only contracted by 0.3% shows the Australian economy's remarkable resilience. As we've explored in previous episodes, the coronavirus pandemic's long-term effect on the real estate market is still largely unknown. With the Australian economy now in recession and an uncertain path ahead, it may seem like an odd time to be thinking about buying a property. But for many Australians who are ready to purchase just before the pandemic hit, they are still in a state of limbo. There are also other pools of buyers, those that fall under the category of the three Ds, death, divorce and debt, as well as those that need to buy due to a change of personal or financial circumstance. And then there's those plucky ones who are looking for an opportunity in a shifting market. In today's episode, we're going to explore the question, should you buy a property during times of economic uncertainty? Later on in the show, Domain Economist Trent Wiltshire will join us to explain how to make sense of auction clearance rates and how to interpret them to understand the health of the property market. We will also hear how a home hunter's search was interrupted by the coronavirus outbreak. But first up is Veronica Morgan, the principal of Good Deed Property Buyers and co-host of Location, Location, Location and the Elephant in the Room podcast. Veronica, thank you so much for joining me. It's really a delight to have you here today. Uh, my pleasure. It's an incredibly challenging time to obtain a medium and long-term outlook at the moment. And I think for many people who are weighing up whether to buy or to sell now, that's the question most of them are wrestling with. How do you think people should navigate through that? Look, it is a challenge, but it's, can I tell you, I've been now in property for 20 years and it's just been a challenge. There's always something, you know, we had the GFC um, only two years ago, we had a a major market downturn. Uh, People saying, is now the time to buy, is now the time to buy, is now the time to sell. It it is quite a common concern because it is a big decision. So therefore it's, it's always sort of rather scary. I mean, I'm a buyer's agent now, I've been a buyer's agent for over 13 years. And, and I know when I jumped the ship from being a selling agent to being a buyer's agent, I actually thought this is going to be great. I'm going to be able to pick up bargains and I'll pick up all the properties that sort of sit on the market for a long time. Could I realize that the properties that are difficult to sell are precisely the ones that you shouldn't be buying. It's Mm. always hard to find properties that are really good because they're competitive and they're competitive. It doesn't matter what market you're buying them in. The big danger at the moment is people going after bargains and they end up buying stuff that really they shouldn't probably buy in the first place. Mm. Veronica, if we just turn the lights on a little bit here, when we're talking about buyers who are keen to buy at the moment, what are the things they need to pay extra attention to in this current climate when it comes to looking at what to buy? If we just focus the answer on owner-occupiers, the really, really important thing is to think, as I said before, property is a long-term proposition. So therefore, how long will this property serve me? Because particularly with first home buyers, for instance, they're really thinking, I just got to get on the ladder. And quite often they might buy a one-bedroom apartment for argument's sake. Well, that's got a limited lifespan in terms of its ability to be suitable for you, particularly if you meet someone, want to start a family for argument's sake. 
then you're going to need more space. So you're going to think, well, what time period am I going to need that space in? And is this going to stay as an investment, et cetera, et cetera. There's all these questions around what should I be looking for now because this property needs to serve me longer term. I think it sort of touches on that this idea that we may know not, not know what's ahead, but even in life that obviously happens all the time with people, COVID or not COVID. We sort of forget that. And look, I've been guilty of this myself throughout my life. You're thinking about what your pain point is right now and what you're not realising is I might alleviate that pain point right now and then I create a whole other series of pain points down the track if I haven't really thought it through. And that's because the cost of getting into property and then out of property and also that risk of actually not preserving your capital. So that is the, the total value of that property. You know, you've got to make sure that you've got a pretty good chance of it going up. You want a good performer. Mm. You have to keep a very clear head here, don't you? I think that temptation to sort of become so emotional about this decision, it's just absolutely crucial to be head over heart, isn't it? It is, but it's impossible. So, <laughs> so even for investors, and just think for a minute, a lot of investors say, oh, I'm going to make my decisions by the numbers. What is driving them? It's still an emotion and usually it's fear. It's fear of making a mistake. Mm. So they sort of err to that sort of, I've got to make my decision by the numbers. I'm not going to be emotional. It's still an emotion. Mm. And also investors need to remember that owner-occupiers are Typically, the people that will bid up a property, they're the ones that will get emotionally in that sense. So you've got to be thinking, well, am I buying a property that has an emotional response on other people? You know, so emotion in property is really important. It's important to understand your own responses and try to think, okay, will other buyers at some point have these same responses to this property? Because that's a good indication I might be on a bit of a winner. Mm, mm. So you've got to trust your gut a lot in that instance, don't you? Well, yes. <laughs> Veronica, we often say in real estate that a property is worth what a buyer is willing to pay. So how should people judge whether a property is priced well or not? And obviously the emotion is sort of the je ne sais quoi component of that question. But how do people really unpack the value of a property when they are just trying to sort of work it out in terms of its its pure value without the emotional component? So I'm actually starting a new business which is called Home Buyer Academy and we're working on online support and education for first home buyers. And I've got a little free mini course there. Now the reason I mention that is because it actually teaches you exactly how to price a property. What you need to do is fully understand exactly what has been selling recently, what the market conditions are, what different characteristics that buyers will place value on and also detract from buyer attention or buyer interest in a property. So by understanding sort of all of these elements, you can actually put a property that you're looking at sort of in the context of everything else that's been selling and then is actually on the market. And that's really important to get that relativity and that context right so that you can actually understand yourself what represents good value. Veronica, coming back to where we are today, in your opinion, are we most definitely in a buyer's market at the moment, would you say? Okay, so the problem with labelling it as a buyer's market is that you've got to think, is there a lot of stock out there for buyers to pick and choose? And in some areas, we could be heading towards that, but then you've got no scarcity. So like in a high-rise building, for instance, that might be fairly recently completed, you might find that there are a lot of apartments that come on the market that might have been that they were previously on for Airbnb and owners are under pressure or it might be the holidays, the bank repayment holidays 
uh, expire, et cetera, et cetera. So you might find that there's sort of homogenous owners all in similar uh, sort of financial situations put the property on the market. It's a race to the bottom because there's nothing scarce about any of those properties. They're all quite similar. So you call that a buyer's market, but I would argue, well, the buyer needs to be very wary about buying something that is so susceptible to that sort of situation happening. And on the flip side of that, and what I see, because of course in my business we operate in the 10K radius of Sydney CBD, and we're seeing an area where there's extraordinary scarcity of property. And whilst mm. you've got a low, low clearance rate, you've got owners who don't have to sell. And if they mm. don't have to sell, they won't transact. If you can't find a vendor of a good property who's prepared to sell it for less than they previously wanted, then you're not going to be able to buy it. So I think what we're seeing, it's it's so splintered in many ways because one could argue that it's a seller's market if you, as you mentioned earlier, have that A-grade property in the right place and it's priced correctly. I mean, we are seeing properties like that go well above the agent quoting price. So particularly with properties that have been listed, say, at the very end of February, the conditions in the market then were really hot. Mm. And then all of a sudden, it's like they're slammed into a wall and they've stopped. And those owners don't usually suddenly change their price expectations. However, if they've bought and got themselves in a sticky situation, some good deals happen right there right then. A lot of panicked agents, they were, they were running around saying the market's going to fall off a cliff, you've got to sell, you've got to sell, panicked owners. So there was a period of a few weeks where we did see massive inconsistency in results and some really good buying. Mm. But once those owners that had to sell, that had no choice and they had the misfortune of being caught in that crossover period, once they sort of cleared out of the market, what we have not been seeing is anything like that. What do you think is going to happen? I'm asking you to get your crystal ball out here, Veronica, <laughs> because I know that no one really knows. But after September, when the mortgage assistance scheme ends, can you sort of play out what you think might happen option-wise in terms of how the market does hold up if we do see an increase in distressed sales? There will be areas where there's there might be a flood of stock, but there's been areas where there's been a flood of stock for the last decade. And you think of some of the oversupplied areas with apartments. So mm. we've had situations in Melbourne and Brisbane in particular, you've had, you've had a, a boom and you've had individuals losing money on their properties while other properties are booming. And I think the similar thing will happen. There'll be areas and types of properties that will suffer a lot, but in those more established areas where people aren't in the same financial position as each other, you're not going to see an avalanche of stock. And on the flip side, on the buying side, you know, there are a lot of people who can have retained their jobs and they'll all decide to get on with their lives again at the same time because it's sort of what happens. We're all sheep. And mm. the same thing happened after the election in 2019. Everyone got off the fence at the same time. And mm. that will happen too. I don't know exactly when, but it will happen. And then everyone will look back and go, ah, oh, that was the bottom and I missed it. Yep. And I think whatever way you look at it, it's all about research and talking to people as much as you can when it comes to buying property more than ever, I would say. Talk to people without an agenda. <laughs> Very sage <laughs> advice, Veronica. <laughs> Veronica, that was such a pleasure to talk with you today. Thank you so much for sharing your information with us. It was really terrific. My pleasure. Now we're going to hear from a recently married buyer who has been looking to upsize from her one-bedroom apartment. Her search began before the coronavirus hit and continued throughout the lockdown. So my name's Zena and my husband and I are currently living in a small apartment and are looking to buy a bigger place. And we did start looking towards the end of last year and couldn't find anything at the time. And we're still trying to look now, but obviously it's a slightly different situation at the moment. 
I have been busy at work as well because I am contributing to the COVID response through my job. I work in health. But from the house perspective, interestingly, we actually went overseas just before it all started here and were away for a few weeks and had been looking until then. And then when we got back, and that was when everything started, the restrictions and the isolation and everything. So at that point, obviously, everything shut down um, and there were barely any houses on the market. So although we kept looking and, and my husband was looking quite a bit online, there wasn't really much coming up. But that said, surprisingly, we still were able to do a few house inspections. So we did have to be a bit more selective because house inspections involved making appointments and organising them one-on-one. And that's obviously a little bit more time-consuming We did actually go and see a few places during that time, but didn't find anything we wanted. Um, And then in the last couple of weeks, we've been to a few more inspections, which have gone back to the sort of the more traditional inspections that we're used to, but there are limits on the number of people that can be in a house at one time. So I wouldn't say there's nothing around, but definitely there isn't as much available. We're both very lucky in that our jobs are relatively secure. So from that perspective, we've been very fortunate because obviously it's a tough time for a lot of people. You know, we keep hearing about house prices dropping and or will be dropping even further. And um, while we've seen a slight drop, I guess probably in the areas that we're looking, which are ideally inner city or inner West Sydney, they haven't dropped too much. I don't think prices have come down that much because there aren't that many places. So those that are there are maintaining their prices. And we've seen a few auction results or private sale prices that have actually been sort of not too far off what they were before. I think we are cautious. I think we are keen to find something. And if we found something that we really loved, we would definitely try to get it. Um, but at the same time, we're not going to rush any into anything, particularly at this time, because for us to buy as well, we would need to sell um, our apartment as well. So of course, buying something else, we're also relying on getting a good price for our apartment. So that's another factor to consider. As we know, the property market is a confusing beast and sometimes it can be hard to decipher whether it is up or down or what exactly has even changed, especially with different figures and numbers pinging around non-stop. In this segment, we'll break down the common tool that many use to judge the property market, auction clearance rates. Here to explain what we need to know about clearance rates is Domain Economist Trent Wiltshire. Trent, thank you for joining me. Hi, Alice. Now, Trent, What are auction clearance rates? So in simple terms, it's just the proportion of properties put up for auction that sell on the day or before the auction occurs. Okay. So if we have 100 listings one week and 50 sell, that's a clearance rate of 50% in simple terms. Exactly. That's right. And there's a a few technicalities we can get into, but that's the basic principle of it. Okay. And what is the purpose behind clearance rates? Most important part of a clearance rate is just how timely it is. So we get a preliminary clearance rate every Saturday night after most auctions take place across the capital cities. And that provides us really quick insight into what's happening with prices and also buyer sentiment. So yeah, the key feature of the clearance rate is just how timely it is. So unlike prices, which take a while to flow through, and also private treaty sales, which again, take a while to flow through, the auction clearance rate is the one we get to get a feel for the market straight away. And can you explain why it's an important metric for buyers and sellers to watch if they're in the market or they're thinking of, of entering that market? Yeah, the the reason it's so important is that there's a really close relationship between the clearance rate and what's happening with price growth. 
So a rule of thumb is that if the clearance rate is at around 60%, it means prices are pretty steady. Clearance rates of 70% and above really indicate it's a seller's market, and particularly there's strong competition from buyers and that prices are rising. Above 80%, it's a really strong market and prices are rising typically quite rapidly. We should sort of write that little formula down and put it on the back of our phone or something because it's so useful to keep that as sort of your guiding light throughout this. We're using it for that sort of forecasting of what's happening and what's ahead. That's right. So if we get into the details a bit, our formula or the formula for Calcutta Clearance is the number of properties sold under the hammer plus those sold prior divided by the total number of reported auctions and then expressed as a percentage. So the total reported auctions includes all different scenarios. That's sold under the hammer, sold before, sold after, passed in so it didn't sell, and also withdrawn before the auction even occurs. So that's the the overall listing numbers that we have. Okay. So if I'd be a cynic here and want to throw rocks at this, obviously this really is useful in a very auction-centric market like Melbourne and Sydney. Is it fair to say it's less relevant in other markets where auctions aren't as prevalent? That's right. So it's particularly useful for Melbourne, Sydney and Canberra. So in these cities, there's about 15 to 25% of properties that are sold are sold by auction. Whereas in, say, Brisbane and Adelaide, there's about 5 to 10% of properties sold uh, sold by auction. And in Perth and Hobart, it's very few are actually sold by auction. So it is most important for Melbourne and Sydney. But we do know that Melbourne and Sydney typically lead the overall property market. They lead regional centres. They typically lead the smaller capital as well. So it does provide an insight into the overall market too. Domain collects auction results and has a clearance rate each week and other data businesses do as well, don't they, within Australia? That's right. It's, it's quite a few companies and organisations collect clearance rates. Mm. And I know that, you know, just week to week, we do see a bit of a difference between REINSW and REIV in Victoria compared to Domain. You know, often a minor percentage, there is a bit of a difference. Mm-hmm. Can you just go through how Domain collects them and, and how we interpret those numbers? So probably the key difference between Domain and some other organisations is how withdrawn auctions are recorded. So withdrawn auctions are the ones that were listed to be put up for auction, say on Saturday or Sunday, but because typically because of little buy interest, they're withdrawn from auction. We still include that in the unsold pool of auctions, whereas others just exclude withdrawn at all and don't include them. So if you include the withdrawn auctions, it actually means clearance rates are typically a bit lower. So say in Sydney, about... 10 to 15%, sometimes up to 20% of properties put up for auction are withdrawn before it actually occurs. So it is a decent chunk of the auction pool. Mm, Okay. Now, it's agents who are reporting those results, aren't they? So our data team will call agents and agents also commit their results to us. Is that right? Mm -hmm. It sort of goes both ways? That's right. So yeah, we have a collections team, basically ring up agents and try and get results from auctions, but also online platforms that agents put in results. So it is relying on agents to provide results. Now, a cynic might say relying on agents to report results, how will that affect that number? How do you feel about that? You know, I'm just conscious that agents do like the market to be strong. It's in their interest (laughs) for it to be strong. What have we seen historically over years when markets go up and down? Do agents report less results effectively? Yeah, we agents are more likely to answer their phone after a successful sale, that's um, that's for sure. Um, but we really only see this gap between the prelim and the final clearance rate. So we do end up getting pretty much all results eventually. It's just that preliminary number is skewed upwards. Then the final clearance rate comes down. So for example, for Melbourne over the month of May, we had a reporting rate of 96%. So we really do get all auction results eventually. Just keep in mind that preliminary clearance rate is likely to be a bit higher than the final clearance rate. 
Okay, I see. Now, Trent, did anything change when calculating the clearance rate during COVID and even in this period that we're in now? The big issue through COVID was the number of withdrawn auctions. So there was lots of auctions scheduled for April, typically a busy time just pre-Easter. With in-person auctions cancelled, we saw a high proportion of auctions being withdrawn from the market and being put up for private treaty sale and some being put up for virtual auction, but a really high proportion of withdrawn auctions. What that did, that pushed down the final clearance rate. So we saw clearance rates in the 25 to 30% range for Sydney and Melbourne. So I assume though that some other organisations who don't report on withdrawn or cancelled sales their clearance rate, in effect, would have been higher than the domain clearance rate at that point? That's right. So if you exclude the withdrawn auctions, clearance rates held up better through that period. During that time, we did actually bring out a couple of extra metrics as well. So we brought out a virtual auction clearance rate, so all auctions that were done online, we did a clearance rate for that. We also did one adjusting for this withdrawal problem, and they both showed that clearance rates were around the 50% range through the sort of COVID April period. I see. Okay. Now, Trent, can you just encapsulate for us, in your opinion, where is the market now and what are the clearance rates indicating? So clearance rates have picked up a little bit since that April low. For Sydney, the clearance rate's been at about 62% over the past four weeks as an average, uh, and Melbourne's in the high 50s. So Sydney a bit stronger, but both markets sort of in that sort of balance range, which point to prices being pretty steady. Okay. And can you just remind us again, if it's in the 60s, it's basically a steady market? That's right. So around 60, pretty balanced market, points to prices being roughly flat. And that's something we've seen with COVID. Prices have held up all right. It's really been the number of transactions that have occurred that has fallen quite significantly. Okay. And so is that fair to say that if you're in the 50s, you are in a buyer's market? If we're seeing clearance rates in the 40s, 50s, that's when you know less than half of properties are selling. Buyers have more of a chance to get in there and maybe purchase after auction once it's been passed in, negotiate a price. So that's definitely more of a buyer's market. Certainly a very complex topic, but it's obviously a really useful metric for buyers and sellers to use along with, I would suggest, they have to layer other metrics and other data points on top of it. Absolutely. So it's a really important metric. The fact that it's just so timely is what's most important about it. But we do keep in mind the number that comes out on the Saturday night is a preliminary number and we do get final numbers and provide really more analysis after all the results are in. Trent, that was great. Thank you so much for your time today and I look forward to talking with you soon. Thanks, Alice. Before I go, I wanted to share a little bit about why we've decided to create this podcast. We know that property can be complex, baffling, and really confusing at times. That's why we want to unpack the issues that matter without the jargon, so you can understand how they might affect you now and in the future. If there's a topic you'd like us to cover or a question you want answered, let us know. You can send us an email at propertyunpacked@domain.com.au. Talk to you next week. You've been listening to Property Unpacked, a podcast by Domain. If you like what you've heard, hit subscribe and look out for further episodes dropping every Thursday. Property Unpacked is hosted by me, Alice Stoltz. This episode was produced by Alexandra Spangaro, Stephen Claxton, with production support from Hayley Coulds. Artwork by Rabia Ahmed, audience development support from Karina Guy. Our executive producers are Jen Young and Jason Chuck. For more property news, advice and market insights, head to domain.com.au. Thank you.